Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Dear Delhi, no, mate, it doesn't even look like you. Is Monday, which means it's time for the front three of front three this week. It's me, Adam Bollard. It's the one and only Nico Morales. I'm first this week on the intro. Well, nice, nice to be first. Now we introduce the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Hennage. Chris, how are we doing? Not bad, thanks yourself. I'm doing very well. I've just about calmed down from the last ten minutes of Spurs Liverpool, uh, and now I'm appreciating a point gained. At Anfield, a fantastic game that we're going to be discussing as part of our free talking points today. We'll also be talking Everton's hammering at the hands of Arsenal and Manchester United. Mourinho dropping Pogba. What does it mean, if anything? We do have to start with Spurs Liverpool, though, and uh, in particular, the talking point that's dominating all the back pages, all the social media chat is the refereeing decisions in this game. I mean, two Stonewall penalties, wasn't it, Nico? There's not much to talk about here. I don't know if I don't know if anyone can say that. I mean, this is definitely an English podcast because the first thing that we're doing is talking about refereeing decisions. But yeah, we don't want, we don't want to talk too much about <laughs> refereeing decisions. Obviously, everyone is. Uh, we want to get into the analysis of the game, but it's causing particular consternation not only because they were both controversial penalties in their own right, but mainly that first penalty. In particular, the fact that John Moss seemingly appeared to have no idea, in quotation marks, whether to award that penalty to Spurs, that first penalty. Uh, Harry Kane, of course, threw on goal, uh, tripped by Liverpool keeper Loris Karius, uh, perhaps over-exaggerated. But the confusion was over whether Dejan Lovren actually touched the ball, the through ball to Kane, and therefore whether it should have actually been offside or a penalty. Uh, John Moss consulting with his fourth official, both of them seemingly unclear. The conversation was picked up by the, the pitch side microphones and therefore riling up Liverpool fans. The second one as well, Van Dijk, depending which angle you see, may or may not have kicked Eric Lamella. I'd be of the opinion, <laughs> slightly biased perhaps, that he did make contact. And, and, and Lamella was cynical, yes, but smart also to get himself between the man and the bull. <sighs> but it's all a bit confusing. It's all a bit controversial. Nico? Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest question is, is this where VAR comes in and, and provides a moment of clarity? But I think, as, as Chris has rightly pointed out before on this podcast, none of these things are going to def- provide, I think, definitive answers. Maybe in some situations, like the first penalty that was given in this game, um, that would maybe def- uh, provide a more definitive answer given the fact that Harry Kane was indeed offside. But with the second one, I mean, that's a call that we see made or not made 
all the time. And I, I, I think I still think, you know, like I mentioned before, as Chris has mentioned on the podcast, there is nothing that it's going to give us definitive answers. But I do think a technology like the video assistant referee is something that could aid us in, in avoiding certain situations and provide a little bit more clarity. That second one, I mean, every Liverpool fan I've seen on Twitter has retweeted a certain angle which seems to make it look like Van Dijk doesn't even touch Eric Lamella, whereas all Spurs fans are tweeting another angle which makes it look like, yeah, Van Dijk kicked Lamella, therefore it's a penalty. So as you sort of mentioned there, it's that subjective it's that subjective issue that you get with these sort of decisions. It is 50-50 in many ways, and VAR wouldn't necessarily help with that, it feels like. Yeah, I think so. And and with you're never going to escape, I think, contentious penalty decisions because of the nature of the game. Um, I think the, the, the sense of frustration here is that it stems back to the game. It stems back to Liverpool seemingly being in control for about 70 plus minutes. And then, you know, the last 10 minutes just being absolutely ridiculous and, um, you know, compounding onto that fact. It seems to be that the and it was obviously the result of the game was decided by things that they think they cannot control, which is the refereeing decisions. Were they in control, Chris? Liverpool, I was, uh, I was quite impressed with Spurs' performance. Uh, obviously, a lot has been made of Pochettino's away record against big six teams. But I felt like Spurs, especially in that second half, asserted themselves. A point was probably a fair result each at the end of the day. But I felt like Spurs almost deserved to win that, no? I thought Liverpool had control for about two-thirds of the first half. Um, and then in the second half, it, it switched quite heavily towards Spurs, I do think. Uh, yeah, as you, as you said, they had more control of possession, tempo. Um, I think in general, they just improved. And, and I think part of that is because for Liverpool, they have the ability to, to muster this 20, 25-minute period of dominance where they can cut open any team. You just have to look at the City game for that. And I think they did um, manage to do that with with Tottenham. I mean, they started with the, the goal, which was so, sort of self-inflicted by Spurs. But thereafter... Liverpool grew into the game massively. There is, unfortunately for them, a then drop-off where they just can't seem to sustain it or or sort of work the the gas pedal um, well enough to, to string it out across 90 minutes. Um, so I, th- I think that definitely helped Spurs claw their way back into it. They did make the most of it, though, Spurs. I have to give them credit for that because they... They passed it really well. They managed to find space against what was quite a compact Liverpool um, team in, in the second period. And they, they started to create chances. I thought they went from um, Alex Trent Alexander-Arnold bombing down the left side, causing a lot of trouble, to actually pinning him back and exploiting the fact that he doesn't get a lot of coverage um, or, or cover on his side of things. And, and Kieran Trippier made the most of that. So I think you have to give Pochettino credit because... He even made a small little tactical tweak there by bringing off Davinson Sanchez. Um, I think it was for Lamella to to switch things up and pull Dyer into the the back line. So yeah, I was quite impressed actually with with Spurs' response as as much as I was Liverpool's dominance in the first period. Mm, those subs, as you say, Lamella of course coming on to win that that controversial penalty. Wanyama as well getting subbed on with that absolute rocket. I think it was sixty two miles an hour. Uh, that ball was travelling at a uh, fantastic goal from him. Uh, what did you make of Spurs? performance I mean I very much think it was a game of two halves I think Liverpool dominated in the first half because they they were able to execute their game plan really well they allowed Spurs to have a lot of possession and they used kind of their defensive strategy of pressing and herring in different zones to you know put Spurs off and hit them sort of in 
counterattacking like situations using the the hold up play or the link up play of someone like Roberto Firmino for the first goal although it kind of was a a Spurs error it didn't it did end up you know being their goal um but yeah I think it was it was a really good second half for Tottenham because of what how they responded to what uh Liverpool were doing um in the first half uh, Liverpool were pressing them really well and they were forcing them to different sides of the pitch, specifically, you know, the, the wider areas so they could press them better. And ha- one of the ways that they, they did that is because they moved Deli Alley to more of a central position. And what was going on in the first half is that when Christian Eriksen was receiving the ball, because he's a, you know, more incisive playmaker, someone that likes to spend a little bit more time in the ball, maybe two to three more seconds than the average player looking for that incisive pass, they were shutting off the, the closest options and making him uh, either push to the ball the ball to an area where it was easier for them to press or they were just pressing him themselves. And the same thing happened, happened with Musa Dembele. There was a really good stat that I think he had only been dispossessed like a handful of times this season and yet he lost the ball five or six times in in this game alone against against Liverpool because of the you know aggressiveness of their of their press so I think they responded to that really well by moving Deli Alley central they were a bit better in possession they were a bit better working through the press um, in sort of their wide formation as Klopp talked about in the press uh, press conference afterwards but yeah I mean it's difficult to to come away from this and say that one team kind of deserved to win despite the contentious refereeing decisions because they did create uh they both teams really created uh, uh, really good chances on both sides of the ball do you think uh, does this game show anything in a wider context chris in terms of uh both Liverpool and Spurs' level in relation to the title race. Obviously, Manchester City are running away with it this season. Uh, this was an incredibly exciting game. It was a fantastic game. End-to-end stuff, as we're saying. Uh, each team performed well in their respective halves. Do you think it showed why they're, they're short of perhaps challenging for the title this season and potentially next season? Yeah, the, the, the thing is, when I look at a City, that to me, there's not an obvious weakness there. Whereas I would say Spurs and Liverpool, they're... they're then maybe is that obvious weakness, um, and I think we we saw it on display um, on Sunday. I think they both managed to exploit each other's frailties to, to varying degrees. I mean, Liverpool's defense will stop them winning titles all the time. In fact, I would I would go as far to say that they're in danger of becoming the modern generation of, of Keegan's entertainers, where they'll be remembered for playing some of the nicest stuff. The, the goal Salah scored, for example, will be looked upon really fondly in, in years to come. But is it a goal that will mean anything? Will it actually achieve anything? Because I, I think we can lull ourselves into a false sense of security. And I believe that achieving top four finishes is an achievement. But in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's really not. If you haven't been in the Champions League for a long time, Sure, I, I can get on board with that. Um, but if like Spurs and Liverpool, like it's something you've done already, it's it's not it's not that huge an achievement, and I think that's the problem. Yeah, it's funny because you're talking about Liverpool there, but yeah, you could be talking about Spurs as well. I mean, obviously, Chris points to Liverpool's defence there, uh, Nico, and, and there was some criticism for Carrius and obviously Van Dijk for giving away a penalty at the end. Overall, it did feel like a good display from them, though. As for Spurs, do you, what do you feel is there? Weakness. What is holding them back from challenging Manchester City and potentially being closer to Manchester United in second place this season? I don't feel like they necessarily have that large of a weakness, as I've kind of talked about before, and I think I've been sort of in the process of writing. I, I just think they're they're in sort of a transitory phase between making that leap between outside of the top four consistently and being inside the top four. And the way that you do that is just by being a better possession team. And I think they're very much on their way to doing that. Purchases like Lucas Mora, who are going to help them stretch 
you know, stretch of the defenses that are going to be compact against them are, you know, they're being those signings are being made. And I think they're they're well on their way to sort of beating all of the other teams that they need to beat. And I'm not so much for drawing a conclusion from just one game. So I think Spurs are, are very much on their way to, to becoming consistent uh, top four you know, team. I would hope so. It, it was a. I think it was a good result for Spurs. I think obviously um, three points would have been ideal, but to get a point at Anfield to control that game in the second half, and as I say, prove a point when Pochettino has received so much criticism for the way Spurs have performed away from home against the top six, coming off the back as well as a very impressive two 0 win against Manchester United at home. Going into that Arsenal game at the weekend, the big North London derby coming up on Saturday, I think it puts Spurs in good stead. And if Spurs can win that game on Saturday, which would be incredible, I feel like it does put Spurs, if not in the driving seat, then in a very good position to finish in that top four. Um, a good day as well for Spurs in that Harry Kane finally scored his 100th Premier League goal, the second fastest player to reach that landmark after, of course, Alan Shearer. Um, you seem to have. Uh, you seem to suggest, though, Nico, there was a bit of a conspiracy around that tinfoil hat time. I believe you said on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, something a little. Let's put on our tinfoil hats and and, mm. and look at this. I think there was, um, you know, because obviously Nike or Harry Kane is a Nike athlete. Spurs are a, a Nike team now, um, and they were able to give him, you know, his customized hundred goal boots, and it was a very nice moment. Spurs TV uh, came out with a video of him, you know, congratulating the rest of the players or thanking them for everything they do for him right after the game, and kind of talking about, you know, being appreciative of that. And I think. You know, it's in there was suggestions being made by Liverpool fans that it was in the interest of the Premier League or it is in the interest of the Premier League to to sort of um, prop up a team like Tottenham Hotspur because of the the English, the young English players that they have, the young English players that they have developed over the years, how they're sort of a high profile team that doesn't spend uh, massive amounts of money on, on, on foreign players, supposedly. So, uh, you know, there was a <laughs> there was an insinuation being made by a lot of Liverpool fans that the contentious refereeing decisions were influenced by the fact that, you know, we want Harry Kane to succeed. We want him to hit 100 goals. We want him to stay in the Premier League. And we want to make these touchy videos of him, you know, congratulating the rest of a, a mainly English cast in the in the Spurs locker room. Putting aside ridiculous conspiracy theories for a second, Nico, let's talk about his actual performance. Uh, Stan and Dave on the kickoff this weekend, which I highly recommend you check out if you want a, an entertaining 10 minutes. Check out those last final few stages for a, for a good laugh. Uh, he was constantly saying, Harry Kane needs to get more involved for Spurs. In the first half, he didn't have any touches. In the second half, almost doubled. He got himself more involved in the game, brought the attackers around him into play, asserted himself in that game. And no coincidence, Spurs improved. We were impressed once again by the England striker's performance, despite the fact he missed one penalty and scored the other. Yeah, I think it was. It's a typical sort of Harry Kane performance. He finds a way <clears throat> to make himself influential in the game. Although, you know, in the first half he was kind of shut out. Spurs' service, as I kind of talked about a little bit there, um, Liverpool's you know, their ability to press Spurs in sort of the transitory phase, the fullbacks of, of Tottenham were really high and they were able to kind of expose that. And so that's why I think he didn't see much uh, much of the ball in the first half. But then, like I said, he has ability to find himself <clears throat> into the game as well as some tactical tweaks by Mauricio Pochettino at halftime, moving Deli Alley into a more central role so that he could link up with Harry Kane a little bit bit better, found a bit more service, Christian Eriksen finding, finding different pockets of space and stuff like that. So I, I think it was a really good performance from him. Um, and obviously the, the 100 goals is a big big moment for him. But, but there was also another player that hit, that hit a, a goal um, milestone, correct? 
Well, uh, Harry Kane has taken at 22 goals for the season, but Mohamed Salah's on 21 in the Premier League for the season. Incredible, considering he's not a central striker like Kane, Chris. Um, and, of course, that fantastic second goal, which most Liverpool fans had thought had won it um, for them. Uh, Jürgen Klopp did, of course. We saw him run down the touchline, which is hilarious in hindsight. But Mo Salah, a fantastic second goal. Got the first as well. Potentially a rival, do you think, for someone like Kevin De Bruyne for Premier League player of the season? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very different. Obviously, they do different things. I think Salah is, is more of a pure goal scorer. Um, and I think it would be fascinating to see them in the same team because obviously Pep does like to use uh, those type of, of wide players. So, yeah, I, th- I think um, when we talk about player of the year, it's, it's something that obviously still has a little bit of time to run before we have to really start considering it. But I would throw the likes of De Bruyne, Salah possibly even Pogba into that conversation um, because I think what's impressed me so much about Salah is, is just how quickly he's transitioned back because it is such a different league, the Premier League, compared to, to Serie A and, and he's managed to, to not only smash records attributed to the likes of Robbie Fowler but also Suarez, um, I think even Coutinho has, has, has seen one of his records go to Salah so it's it's been very, very impressive and, and even more so when you consider Liverpool only paid £35 million for him. It's interesting um, as well, looking past the, the, the forward lines, Nico, you mentioned Moussa Dembele earlier. Obviously, uh, a fantastic performance once again from him. Uh, a player that many Spurs fans had written off at the start of the season, but once again showing his, his, his best form and playing three times in the space of a week. Um, it's something that uh, many Spurs fans don't think Moussa Dembele could do anymore. Um, but hopefully he'll also be playing in the North London derby. Alongside him, Eric Dyer was an interesting pairing. Uh, again, dominated that midfield in midweek for Manchester United. Up against Jordan Henderson, Emre Chan in midfield for, for Liverpool. How do you think that, that, that match-up worked? Who do you think got the better of the midfield between the two teams? Uh, I would say it depends sort of in the time of the game. Obviously, we talk about the last 20 minutes or so being very hectic. But I've seen a lot of abuse for Eric Dyer, and I think his performance is exemplary. I think what you saw between him and Henderson was a very much younger and better version of, of Henderson because I have long lamented Henderson's inability to really affect the game. Um, but something that sprang to mind when I when I was watching the Liverpool performance specifically was um, David Sumter, who wrote the book, uh, soccer something soccer Maddox there we go um <laughs> that, that he he's actually a I think he does statistical work but he also does biological sciences work and he talked about the anatomy of, of a football team and how certain players affect one another and he made the point about Roy Keane and and Steven Gerrard and despite certain moments in, in certain games that he pointed out um, in his book, which I really high, highly recommend, um, despite their performances dipping in certain situations, they had the character and sort of um, these positive character traits and, and leadership uh, qualities that that raised the level of the performance of, of those players around, him, around them. And I think that is uh, something that it has to be uh, 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 something that Jurgen Klopp sees as a positive for Jordan Henderson because besides and sort of outside of that, 
every time I, I watch Jordan Henderson, specifically in a game against uh, another team in the top six or another high-quality team, perhaps in the Champions League, he doesn't really seem to be able to affect the game uh, as he once was. I, I see a loss in sort of athleticism and, and really more lateral passing than forward passing. And, and that's what I came to admire about Eric Dyer's performance was that he spread the ball really well and he had the athleticism to go forward. Sometimes he was putting the ball into the box for crosses. He had the ability to you know stretch the play. And obviously one of the cruxes of um, Tottenham's system is his ability to step back into that line and operate as a defender. He didn't do that that much this game, but the fact that he has the ability to do so competently as well as be a, a really good central midfielder, I think in certain situations, is is only a compliment to how versatile he is as a player. It's interesting, isn't it, Chris? Because as Nico sort of mentioned there, Dyer does come under a lot of criticism from Spurs fans. I think despite that mistake, which obviously led to Salah's opening goal, it was an assured performance. It was a solid performance. And we saw a similarly impressive game from him in midweek against Manchester United. But that versatility that Nico speaks of, which can be seen as such an asset by some, is seen as as a negative. That you know, We saw it earlier this summer. It was in Guillaume Balaguer's book, Brave New World, against about Spurs last season. The anecdote about Pochettino sees Dyer's best role as a centre-back. Dyer himself feels that he's better in central midfield. That decision almost feels like it still is a bit of a question mark. Is he as good as, say, Alderweireld, Vertonghen, and Sanchez at the back? No. Is he as good to be picked as a first-team player ahead of Wanyama and Dembele when they're both fit, when they're on form? Perhaps not. So do you see that versatility, that, that flexibility as Dyer's as a real positive? Or is it a negative as some Spurs fans seem to be to be leaning towards? It, it reminds me a little bit of Owen Hargreaves, um, who had so much versatility to him that it was difficult for him to really nail down one role. I think what Dyer has done is carve himself out as, as somewhat of a position as someone that floats between those lines, so can start in defence, move out up into central midfield, or vice versa. The problem you have with that is, is that if you do try and go to a, a back two or um, a midfield pairing, you're looking at Wanyama and Dembele as offering a little bit more in kind of every department. Um, I would say both are better passers than Dyer. I'd say Dembele carries the ball much better than Dyer does. At the same time, I, Wanyama has a lot of the defensive strength and, and gives them a lot of cover. And after yesterday, can clearly shoot from distance um, in a way that the tyre can't. Um, so I think that's his his struggle right now is is where does he sit when the ball stops almost? Um, because it's great being able to slot in, but slot in does not refer to how a player starts the game unless there's injuries. And I think he's too good to sit on, on the bench. And if that was the case, I could imagine he'd, he'd probably want to move on. It's interesting because... He is an incredibly important player for Spurs, and Pochettino clearly sees him as an incredibly important player. The, the stat I saw was that of Mauricio Pochettino's 199 games in charge of Spurs, Dyer has only missed 30 with all of his 169 appearances, well, virtual, of him coming as a starter. So Pochettino clearly rates him. Obviously, that versatility allows Pochettino to sort of change structures mid-game, so he can be an incredibly important player in that respect as well. It's just a lot of Spurs fans don't seem to appreciate that. They kind of want to simplify it as he either needs to be a fantastic centre-back or a fantastic midfielder. I think there is room in the middle for him to be a useful asset in both in both positions, essentially. Um, before we do move on, though, uh, we, do we have to mention Deli Alley? Deli Alley getting a lot of headlines, a lot of talk online about a certain 
video that's come out against him. Um, obviously, we don't want to... to Allegedly. Allegedly, you know, is it him? Is it not? Obviously, it's his his privacy that's been uh, infringed here. We're not sure if there was a hacking from a Liverpool supporter after the game, uh, an Arsenal supporter. Uh, some are alleging. It's definitely strange. Uh, don't know why. Uh, don't know why he is allegedly. I want to underline that uh, hanging out with his friends while certain fellatio acts are being performed. But, you know, when you can kill two birds in one stone, you like hanging out with your friends. You like doing that as well. I guess, you know, that, that sort of lifestyle creeps up on you when you have the, the level of fame and, and money that, that Deli Alley has. So, I, I don't know. It's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting video um, if you haven't seen it. I, you know, You've watched the whole thing, have you? You've watched the whole thing. I don't know what you mean by whole thing. I, you know, I'm not staying for the climax or anything, but. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss burrow's furniture is built for the way you live from ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating they always have their customers in mind their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you and with burrow you always get fast free shipping get up to 60 percent off during burrow's memorial day sale at burrow.com slash acast that's burrow.com slash acast Burrow.com slash ACAST. You know, I did see some of it. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Spurs do have Arsenal coming up. Um, before we move on to talk about Everton, uh, I mean, let's talk about Arsenal briefly. A real fantastic attacking performance, something that Spurs are going to be wary of going into this North London derby on Saturday. Chris, uh, Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang linking up fantastically. Mkhitaryan with free assists on his debut. Uh, have Arsenal found their new Thierry Henry and Pires? Funnily enough, the same numbers as those Arsenal legends? Huh, um, to a certain degree, yeah. I think the, the key difference for me is that whereas once Arsene Wenger bought them and made them stars, now he's having to sort of buy them or, or get them ready-made. I mean, I, I don't believe it was necessarily him that sanctioned the the Aubameyang deal but the point still stands that it's it's less about getting someone like Aubameyang when he was at Saint-Étienne for example and more like getting him when he's at, at Dortmund and costs about five or six times the price um I thought honestly watching the the game against Everton it was a very Arsenal performance in all the best ways they were cutting they exposed an opponent's weakness um they were very uh quick with their passing intricate with it at the same time they all made space for each other there was a real understanding so in that regard I, I didn't see anything terribly new from them um, I think what you can say is that uh, Mkhitaryan and Obermeyer fit into the team very very easily which is a good sign moving forward um, I think what will continue to be the issue for this team moving into the the final furlongs of this season is that defence and how the defence handles things because that's their weakness realistically it's it's not the attack and I don't think it's been the attack for a long time to be very honest I think mm. that's produced to a, a good level it's it's been the defence that's that's increasingly let them down 
it looked particularly good uh, on Saturday. Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan there, sort of almost taking the burden somewhat off Ozil uh, and of course Sanchez, who's left. It's interesting. It feels like they got a more a more dangerous attack. So I'm going to be very anxious to see that in action against Spurs next weekend. But as good as Arsenal were, Nico, Everton. Pretty, pretty awful, uh, especially in defence. It's now just one win in the last eight in the Premier League, four defeats. You put it, you put it so eloquently. Pretty awful. Pretty awful. Um, I mean, what's going on? Big Sam, of course, he gets appointed. You make that trade off when you appoint Big Sam for style, for the security, for that 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 more solidity in defence. Yet here we are, Everton five one at the Emirates just a few weeks ago, four nil, losing to to Spurs at Wembley. It doesn't seem to be quite working as quickly as Big Sam would like at Everton in terms of sorting out that back line. Yeah, we were kind of talking about this pre-record, and, and I think Chris rightly made the point that this was an opportunity for Allardyce. You know, he has a certain reputation amongst the football community about the style of football that he likes to play, about him as a person. And it's not, you know, one that is really, uh, you know, I don't think a lot of people would like. It, it's a simplistic style of football. It's rudimentary. It's not something that I think he get, he gets a lot of, um, it's not really, doesn't really have a positive connotation. But at the very least, you know, this was an opportunity for him to visit a club that had recently made some, I guess, decent recruitment, um, if you look at it at a, at a very, you know, base level. Um, and it was certainly much larger than the clubs that he had managed previously. And yet he hasn't done anything to improve the style of football since he's been there or say, you know, this is, I can play a different style of football. I can do something else with enough resources. I can make something and I'm not just a simplistic manager. And yet he hasn't done that. You know, as we're talking about, the results have been pretty bad. And yeah, Everton certainly aren't going to get relegated, but they're certainly not going to thrive. You're just going to live. You're not necessarily going to to thrive under Sam Allardyce. And I think that's the overwhelming criticism that we've seen um, about his his style of management and style of football. I mean, in this match in particular, Chris, it seemed particularly disastrous, um, conceding three goals in the opening 20 minutes. Um, It was actually the first time in Everton's history they conceded four goals in the first half of a Premier League match. Um, of course, we saw Mangala and Ashley Williams arguing as well. Mangala trying to play a high line. Ashley Williams having absolutely none of it. Big Sam coming out after the game and, and criticising his players, blaming them for the defeat in that they didn't listen to instructions. It all seems to be uh, pretty ridiculous right now, doesn't it? Good as part. Yeah, it doesn't. It's, it's made no better by the fact that Adam Ola-Luckman scored the, the winner for RB Leipzig around the same time that, that Arsenal were uh, destroying Everton. I, th- I think Nico pretty much covered it, it well there. That um, To me, it looks like a very bad fit now. Um, and I, th- I think any take is going to be steeped a little bit in hindsight because at the time it seemed as if Everton were in a lot more trouble under Unsworth than they were. But the victory just before Allardyce was appointed pulled them up to ninth, I think. And at that point, with the way that the bottom half has has transpired, I don't think Everton have or will be in any trouble of going down because the those below them just keep pulling each other back. I think, personally, I'll be very surprised if he sees past this summer just because I don't think he's a good fit. I, th- I think it's less about him saying... You know, why do I need Luckman when I've got Yannick Balassi there for 30 million? I think that's fine. I think it's more to the the fact that he's not progressive enough for them. He was dealt a bad hand in some instances because I, I do think that Davy Klaas and Sigurdsson and Rooney as three big money signings in the summer, that's not a great situation to inherit. But he knew what he was walking into. And I think 
taking shots at Klaassen for not joining Napoli, saying publicly that Sigurdsson and Rooney can't play together when the last two times they have that Everton have won and the games since where they haven't, they've lost. It, it paints him as someone, or perhaps it's better to say that it reaffirms people's perception that he is a limited coach with a limited skill set. I mean, it doesn't feel like he's he's proving to Everton that he does deserve to stay beyond the summer. Nico, they are on 31 points now, though. Uh, Everton, they are seven points clear of the drop zone. I mean, uh, for Big Sam, is this a case that, you know, are his methods outdated here? I mean, we saw at Crystal Palace that it took uh, similarly, it took it took a while for things to bed in, to stabilise, for him to, to really get his hands around that defence. Yet, I mean, at Palace, we're seeing relative success from Roy Hodgson. It just feels like, uh, as Chris says, it doesn't feel like a good fit right now. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think although maybe he had the very, at Everton, he, he probably had the very basic tools to succeed in, in terms of having a like a decent squad that has, I guess, achieved to some extent over the past couple of years. I don't necessarily think it's his ideal crop of players, and there's some pretty bad f- you know, fits in, in there in terms of personnel like Ashley Williams and Eliakim Mangala. I don't think that is a center back partnership that instills a great de- degree of confidence both in the fans and people looking on and in each other. I think they're kind of two center backs in very different points in their career with very different skill sets that don't exactly meld together. And I, I, I think... I think it's very. Di- it would be very difficult for a lot of managers to put together um, any semblance of football that someone would be proud of, given this team and given uh, how they've sort of mashed all these different pieces together. So it hasn't been the greatest of recruitment, but I still think the criticism stands that he he could be achieving more with this team, and it's it's just the fact that I, I'm not going to say that his methods are outdated or anything like that, but I I, I don't think that Everton is the right solution for him and that kind of proves exactly what we're talking about which is you know given the fact that he could make something of it or at least could make a go of it he, he still isn't finally we come on to Manchester United um, I know all the listeners out there love it when we discuss Jose Mourinho's side without Statman Dave um, you know we try the best we can to give a balanced view uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what Dave does. Is he just he just has the Kool Aid and he just dumps it all over the Manchester <laughs> oh, this, United fans and they're just loving it. They're exactly just drinking it up and then um, we come we come along and we we have that cold refreshing necessary water yeah. and we're like nope you guys are idiots. Let's see Here you go. let's see uh, if we can be as balanced as possible in talking about Manchester United's two 0 win over Huddersfield Town a comfortable win um, perhaps most notable for an improved. Performance from Alexis Sanchez obviously scored his first goal for the club since his uh, since his move to Old Trafford, but um, perhaps most importantly, uh, a few eyebrows raised by the lineup in this one. Nico uh, Phil Jones, of course, who scored an own goal in midweek at Wembley, uh, dropped from the matchday squad altogether. But perhaps more significantly, Paul Pogba dropped uh, to the bench uh, with 21-year-old midfielder Scott McTominay coming in. Um, do we need to read too much into this one? I mean, a lot of people talking about how this was a big call by Mourinho, perhaps the first uh, signs of a fissure in the relationship between the two that maybe Paul Pogba is not going to last too much longer at Manchester United. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Scott, or what is his name? McTominay? 
better than Paul Pogba. That's why he's is that, that's well, why he's in the lineup. Hundred percent. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, say. I don't know. It's a weird one to, to to sort of make those assumptions based on you know him tr- Mourinho trying to rotate. I don't even necessarily think that Phil Jones was dropped. I just think he's trying to rotate through you know a period, and he's 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 still in in kind of the I think transitory phase in his Manchester United career, which I don't think is where he would want to be or where people want him to be in terms of like finding the perfect squad and having the ideal lineup that you you know that you have but I I I wouldn't read too much into it in terms of him dropping Paul Pogba I I think it was genuinely a rotation thing maybe to give um the young midfielder a chance and and sort of um do those things because uh, you know to to talk about fissures in their relationship so so early on I I think is a little bit premature even though it is consistent with what we know about Mourinho but yeah I'm not going to read too much into it Uh, you're not going to read too much into it uh Chris it feels like obviously Paul Pogba received a lot of criticism for the performance in midweek at Wembley. Um, that 2-0 defeat to Spurs, obviously when we spoke on the podcast, we talked about how that system didn't suit Pogba. He was he was made to look bad by the way Mourinho deployed him. Is this all just a big storm in a teacup or does this mean more for the relationship of Pogba and Mourinho? No, I, I, at this stage, I don't think you're doing it. Th- I think it's, it's part trying to send a message a little realistically you have to give someone like McTominay a go from the start I don't think he develops if you keep throwing him in in meaningless cup games and giving him you know 20-30 minutes when there are a few goals up you have to let him try from the start that's a different type of game Um, as for Pogba I think that uh, whether intentional or otherwise there's developed this perception that he is central to everything Manchester United and if you pull him out you are pulling the big cog out of the machine. I, I think if they can develop ways to play without him, that's a good thing because he has been injured this season. There's potential that he'll get injured further down the line. It's it's not uh, an impossible um, eventuality. So I think the, the more planning they can do, the more you know players that they can bring in because I'm not saying that McTominay is on Pogba's level. I see a similarity in the way that they play and what they want to do though. I think that can only be a good thing, really. It's interesting seeing McTominay uh, get that opportunity from uh, from Mourinho, Nico. Um, first off, I think it was a, a genuine opportunity. I mean, we're talking about all the reasons that, that he may have made the side there. Uh, but also, what do you make of that comparison to Manchester City, who this week didn't name a full bench, a full seven players, because uh, Pep Guardiola said that they simply didn't have any? So here, I want to start, start off by saying, you know, I've given... Manchester United fans that are listening, I've given them that concession. I haven't talked about the the possibly negative relationship between Pogba and Mourinho that is now simmering. I didn't I didn't give them that one. So well they should Pound equally the give me the, the they should <laughs> they should equally give me the opportunity to suggest that, you know, we didn't have a full bench. This and, and the decision of not having a full bench was compounded by the fact that they, in fact, did drop points against Burnley, um, even though Manchester City created a ton of chances. I don't think it's necessarily something that people would be talking about if the result was different. And I think the result probably should have been different, but it wasn't. Um, but yeah, to my knowledge, the, the, the answer that people are giving me is that there was a there was a, a under 23s game that, you know, they could have played the full 90 minutes uh, against. And so a lot of players kind of opted to do that or Pep Guardiola chose not to include players that he might have um, 
you know, might have filled the bench if because of that game. So I, I, I think that's genuinely the reason. But, you know, a, a further discussion as to, you know, whether Mourinho or Guardiola promotes youth at, at the same rate, I think, is bound to ensue. But, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, Chris? I mean, um, I'm not sure I agree with Nico that they wouldn't have been made a deal out of if the result had been different, because I feel like a lot of people were pointing to this at the very start of the game about how this was unacceptable from Pep, um, naming six substitutes. That surely there could have been a seventh for youth play, etc. That anyone that they could have brought in, even though there was this under-23s game. I mean, if Gary Neville said to on Sky Sports, it's a joke, it's an absolute joke. Would you agree with that, Chris? Or have you got the more mild assessment that Bias City fan Nico has? Um, I think it's his choice to do what he wants. I think if it comes back and bites him in the the rear end, then then there's enough of a lesson for him anyway. I, I think at the minute there's a uh, an interesting discussion developing about City and how they're using youngsters because we obviously had the chat about giving someone like Ford and Diaz chances over Mares, and and someone responded to us by saying, you know, Diaz played the the last game against West Brom. I think that's grand, but it doesn't change the fact that he wanted to buy Mares, and I think this is the the, the curiosity is that, yeah, there's, there's got to be someone in that under-23 development squad that, that could come in and do something and just sit on the bench and, and take up a spot. But then at the same time, Guardiola, I think, is fairly entitled to operate whichever way he wants. And if he doesn't see a value in bringing someone up that he's not actually ever going to use, then so be it. But I think if he was to start complaining that his squad was threadbare or that he needed more reinforcements... I would struggle to stomach that personally because they they have spent a truly gargantuan amount of money. There's no other way to to spin it. I, I get all of the needs to do that, the reasons for it, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't change the fact they have spent more than some small countries um, earn in defense. GDP on yeah. players. They've got a bigger defence budget, you might say, than some small countries. Um, Alexis Sanchez finally on Manchester United. Nico, uh, an improved performance from the one against Spurs in midweek, would you say? Is he starting to uh, to show how he's going to fit into this side? Yeah, I think that's generally where, where we'll see him. I, I also think it, we'll see him do really good things centrally. I think I was talking to a friend about this. The swap between Mkhitaryan and Alexis really makes sense in terms of the style of player because this is, I think, think what Mourinho more wanted to see out of Mkhitaryan. He saw him as a gifted dribbler who also had the you know the vision and the ability to see uh, and pick out people in these kind of situations and can make a lot happen off of both of those things. And I think Mkhitaryan is more of a gifted passer and a mover off of the ball as well as someone that is competent at dribbling, where I think as Alexis is a, like a, almost a black hole of possession in terms of what he can create uh, off the dribble and all of the things that he does. And I think, you know, he'll he'll work very well at Manchester United because of the because of the positive attributes that he has. Um, but yeah, this I think this game was sort of exemplary of that and, and what he'll be able to create uh, with the Manchester United team around him. Right, guys, that brings an end to this week's Front Free. Those are your free talking points. Let us know what you think on Twitter at the Front Free. Hope you're enjoying this sort of refreshed new Front Free format. Um, trying to, you know, we're, we're trying something out. Let us know what you think. Uh, until Thursday, we're going to be back with the Q&A podcast. As always, lots of great questions. Looking forward to do get them in on Twitter at the Front Free as well. Until then, Chris, where can the good people, where can the whole find you? Uh, at Keir Lovely stuff. Uh, Nick? 
at Nico underscore Omoralis on Twitter. Guys, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. Please do leave your reviews for the front free. Just click the link in the description of this very podcast for your chance to be the whole of the week this Thursday. We've already got two very good reviews, so uh, we want some more competition for them. Until then, guys, enjoy your week, and we'll see you then. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.